I am so pleased to have in studio with me Susan Kochevar, the owner of the historic 88 Drive-In Theater. It's great to have you here, Susan. Thanks, Kim. Thanks for inviting me. You know, you do a lot of great things. And, uh, you know, one of the things you just recently did is you were the presenting sponsor for Vino and Veritas, the study of the Federalist Papers, last month. And uh, it was quite an evening, wasn't it? It really was. And lots and lots of folks. I was so happy to see that turnout, people interested in studying the arguments that were made to get the people of New York and the rest of the colonies, actually, states to um, ratify that second Continental Congress Convention. And I'm learning so much. And Dr. Cranawitter has put together uh, a, a complete year to go through the Federalist Papers. Uh, and this particular group is meeting on the fourth Monday of each month. Demand has been so great, Susan, that possibly this month uh, they will open up another Vino and Veritas. So if you are interested, get on the wait list so that we can assess just what the demand is. And we are assessing demand and then we'll supply uh, additional programs and it is, it's just a rich, rich evening. It really is. And I highly recommend small businesses support uh, the program and sponsor it. You know, we, we sponsored uh, the last month and it, it's just so much fun. And you got a whole basket of goodies too, didn't you? I did. I got a chicken purse. All right. Okay. Well, you are a guest chick, you know, so that's awesome. So let's, let's talk about some of these other things then. Uh, I mean, you, I, you must not sleep, Susan, because first of all, as a small business owner, it's not a nine to five, 40 hour a week kind of job. I mean, it's a lot of work. Yeah, when you anybody that has a small business, you're never away from it. You're home in the evening, you're thinking about it, whatever you're doing. You're you're out somewhere and you get, oh, that's a great idea. You know, I'll mm-hmm. do that. Um, so yeah, you're never away from it. And the other thing is, you have a real heart for the American idea. I mean, you step up. Uh, you have uh, run for uh, the state house here in Colorado. Uh, you are very active in a number of different organizations. You you truly are kind of that embodiment of that engaged citizen, that American idea. And uh, so one of these things, interestingly enough, it was in The Hill, you know, which is one of the uh, publications out of Washington, D.C., where a lot of people get their news. And looking at it, and all of a sudden I see that you're being quoted. And, And it was regarding this Job Creators Network. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I got involved in Job Creators Network quite a while ago, and they've just been growing and growing. And they help employers, small businesses actually, um, get their voice out. Us tiny guys, you know, nobody really, very few people, I think, really understand how to run a small business and what actually happens to us. And so it's very important to explain to legislators and others what it's like to run a small business, the things that affect us. And so I really like to advocate for small businesses, those People that have the idea to go out and start a small business, those are the hopes and the dreams of Americans. And those are the things that keep us from being a class society. So what do you you mean by that, a class society? Well, you can be be born in whatever economic level and have an idea and go after that idea and create a business and become as wealthy as you like, where in some countries, when you're born in a particular class, you're stuck there. Like like India, kind of. Like India. You know, we're not supposed to be a class society. That was the promise of America. That you could you could live your hopes and dreams and, and sometimes you fail, but you still have those opportunities. Those are the things I fight for. Well, and if you don't have the opportunity to fail, 
then you don't have the opportunity to succeed. Right. And you don't have the opportunity to learn either. I've learned a lot from the failures. That's for sure. Uh, Well, so Job Creators Network, if I remember right, wasn't it founded by the guy uh, that founded Home Depot? It was founded by Bernie Marcus, and he often joins us on the phone calls, and uh, he understands the impact of regulation and taxation and what it's like to be an employer. So he's put his money in this and got uh, got um, Job Creators Network up and running. They do a few things. One of the things they do is help employers to talk to their employees. They put together uh, materials so that you can explain public policy and how it's impacting those employees' paychecks. And they, if you go to their website, they have videos that explain what FICA is and how that works in an employee's paycheck. They have a whole bunch of videos um, that really teach your employees things. So it's a good network to join. But the other really important thing they do is help give tiny guys like me a voice. So they help you write articles and get them put into newspapers, which is how I got into the Hill. Uh, Two years ago, they flew me back to Washington, D.C., to stand on the steps of the IRS. That's frightening. Oh, my. So what were you doing there? I was advocating for that first round of tax cuts that went through. This really helped small businesses and set our economy uh, off in a very good direction. So the tax cuts, you know, we had Jason McBride on with Presidential Wealth Management, and he went through and ran the numbers. And it's a pretty significant tax cut for the middle class, which is exciting. Um, But there has been pushback in the media. They've said that, oh, the Trump tax cuts, people are not getting as large a refund as they used to. And what has happened, though, they probably were taking more money home each month in their paycheck. But as we were chatting about this, you said that uh, employers are getting a bad rap. Yeah, I saw in some of the mainstream media articles that said, well, your employer is not withholding enough. Well, that is not the responsibility of the employer. In fact, by law, you are not allowed to give your employees tax advice. The employee has to take a W-4, refill it out if they want to change their withholding and give it to the employer. And you can do that anytime you want, and your employer will change that for you. But um, people don't understand how withholding works. And so they, you know didn't know to do it and um, change their withholding. So in essence, what happened? They didn't change their withholding and, and whoops, under the t- uh, Trump tax cuts, uh, then in essence, um, I guess less was less was withheld, right? Is that what would ha- have happened? So since mm-hmm. less was withheld, they should have had more money in their pocket. Yes. But then at the end of the year, they don't get a larger refund because because of that. Right. But in essence, ideally, I think you would try to... And, and you know what? It's not the employer's responsibility. Mm-mm. It's the employee's responsibility and to, to try to figure this out. But ideally, if you can get your tax liability to zero... To zero. That w- means that that's about the exact amount that you're supposed to, to be... To be paying because you've paid in all year. If you get that, what you're going to owe when you file your taxes to zero then um, you've done a pretty good job. You have. You have not given the government a tax-free loan. You know, a lot of people, I think, look at that, oh, I got money back. Well, that was actually your money that you could and should have had. And if you save it or invest in something, you get a return on your money. If you just, you know, pay too much in withholding, the government's just holding on to your money. And if you really need access to it, you can't get it. Until the end of the year. That's true. That's true. Whereas if you can get, and when I said get it to zero, I meant that you you pay your taxes for sure. But that liability 
at the end of the year would be zero. And that's an excellent point. There's no liquidity with this tax-free mm-hmm. loan that you're giving the government. And for, and even after you file your taxes, you're not quite sure when you're going to get that money back. So ideally, you do want to get that to zero. So a lot of the uh, major networks have been pushing this narrative and kind of whining that, that people are saying the Trump tax cuts were not good. But in essence, it sounds like it's been really great for, for them. And small business, have you seen that it's been good for you too? It has. So what happened is people had more money in their paychecks, even if they didn't realize it, and they had more spending money. And that's what's really helped kick up our economy. And I saw it in my per capita spending in my snack bar. My customers had just that much more money to spend, and that's what happened. I worked it out, and it looked like um, if you earned, I think it was a gross $1,500 a week, you had about $50 extra per paycheck, an employer that pays you every two weeks, if that makes sense. Wow. Okay. And so you saw that as a small business person, and then you're able to pay your employees, and uh, oh, that's just awesome. Susan, I think that we'll go to break. When we come back, uh, There's you really keep an eye on what's happening right here in Colorado down at the State House, and there's some things to chat about that could really affect small businesses there. So I'm t- this is Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks. I'm talking with Susan Kochevar, owner of the historic 88 Drive-In Theater. We'll be right back because... We're going to talk about this right to rest. Hey, welcome back to the Americans with Kim Munson. Dissecting the news, politics, and opinion is right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree? Let's have a conversation. Be sure and check out my website, americans.com. Sign up for my emails. I will keep you apprised of all the upcoming guests, topics, and important events. And follow and like me on Facebook and Twitter. I offer you a conservatarian perspective. Thrilled to have in studio with me today, Susan Kochevar. Uh, Susan is an entrepreneur. She is the owner of the 8-8 Drive-In Theater, and she is is tireless in standing for the American idea. It's so great to have these conversations with you, Susan. Thank you. Okay, and you're going to be opening soon. We are, yes. Hopefully March 22. Kind of depends on weather. So March 22 to April 5th, somewhere in there. Um, I certainly plan to be open on April 5th. There's a great picture coming out called Shazam. Go look at the trailer. It's so cute. Okay. Well, you know, Susan, I, I've got to think that if, in fact, the politicians and pundits and bureaucrats can tell us what the temperature is going to be in 100 years, they should be able to tell you what the weather's going to be like on the 22nd. But that's not the case, is it? No, it doesn't work that way. And so <laughs> I just had to make a little snarky, you know, comment regarding global warming on that. So anyway, uh, let's talk about something that is happening right here in Colorado. There has been legislation regarding right to rest. And then we've also seen that the Denver City Council is talking about right to rest. And this could be really hard on small businesses. But Susan, explain to our listeners what right to rest is, because I mean, off the cuff, it kind of sounds compassionate. It does. Yeah. Well, it's legislation that we've seen for a few years running, and it it kind of gives special rights to people who are homeless. Uh, And, of course, I always argue we don't need any special rights. We all have equal rights. Agreed. very important. And we also have something called property rights. That plays into this, too. And it's not that I, you know, don't feel bad for people who are homeless and are are down on their luck. That's, it's really sad. And um, there are a lot of programs that the state has and that the city of Denver has to help these folks. Uh, Is there more that could be done? Possibly. 
But now, now, just my my point on that, we do have a lot of programs for the homeless. Mm -hmm. I actually think that it has become a business for many bureaucrats and politicians because the more money that we put towards the homeless, it seems like the more homeless that we have. And uh, that's probably another discussion. But in some ways, I feel that government is enabling this homelessness and agreed instead of equal rights where we're all treated the same under the law. Uh, in rules and regulations, there are special rights. And what you're talking about now with this right to rest is special rights for homeless people. That's right. And we've seen this gigantic push in certainly San Francisco to help the homeless. And that's really increased the problem. And, you know, they've had to hire sanitation people to clean up the human waste. It's astonishing. It is. It's trashing these beautiful cities. It is. And it it destroys the small businesses, which is kind of what we're seeing now on the um, 16th Street Mall. There is a bakery called the Corner Bakery and these people wanted someone in the Corner Bakery to sign a petition that would go to the Denver Partnership or to the City Council, I guess, to make it easier for people to camp in front of their store. Well, when you have homeless people camping in front of your store, then you have all the essentially garbage in front of your store, and you're trying to sell food. And when you're talking garbage, you're talking about, you know, the wrappers and... and uh, cardboard. Cardboard and all that stuff. And human yeah. waste. You, you cannot run a bakery with that going on. And um, those people intend to intimidate customers also, and, and they smell bad. And so um, it's making it difficult to, to run that business. And you know, the corner bakery employs people. These are people who are working, going to school. They need their jobs. They, they, you know, prevents them from being homeless. So, um, that's a good point. (laughs) Yeah. A job does, does help prevent people from being homeless. Yeah. Yeah. Helps prevent that. So we, we, um, so the, 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 the corner bakery has sort of been under siege and I would recommend going and having breakfast down there. So to support them until this gets worked out. But um, now under siege because there's so many people camping in front of them or under siege because they didn't sign this uh, petition or what? Because they didn't sign the petition. Really? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Tell us. So the corner bakery um, has made a plea uh, to stop this siege. You know, I guess they're sort of. Um, protesting every Sunday morning out in front of the corner bakery and making it very hard for them to make money. And, you know, these are folks who have invested a lot of money into a business, and it takes a lot to keep it going. It does. And that's not right. Um, To that point, just very quickly, I think that uh, people that have never created a job, they don't understand the risk that is involved. Mm -hmm. And I think that they, they look at, like, if they buy a popcorn at your place, Somehow, I think that they think that you get all the money for that popcorn, but you don't. No. Because you had to buy the popcorn, you had to get the licenses, you pay your employees. But I think that's why they think that that uh, employers are like this um, big daddy war bucks, you know, with all this money. And the margins are actually pretty darn small. They are pretty small. And when you get things like minimum wage, and I have to, which is a, you know, wages are a huge portion of your expenses. All my wages go up for my employees. So do all the matching taxes. And then my suppliers, all of their wages go up also. So their uh, product, cost of their products go up. So I have to pay more for all of that. So it's all a giant trickle up effect. And um, you're always, always thinking about your business and how to cut costs and how to keep things going and how to pay your people. And, you know, so um, the right to rest is very concerning because uh, having these people being able to camp out in front of all these businesses 
So right to rest, what, what is it exactly? What are they saying that I, I think I've kind of heard that it's like any public property mm-hmm. that anybody would have the right to rest there. So in essence, if you have a public sidewalk, if you have a sidewalk in front of your house, yes. they could do that there as well. Yes. At junk cars, you know, you could, you know, sleep in those. And I understand sometimes people sleep in their, their cars because they're, they're just out of down their luck. A lot of times they're working still and trying to get jobs, but... Um, just being able to camp anywhere is is not right like that because it costs the public so much more to take care of those spaces. There, you know, it's not like it's a zero cost. Well, and you mentioned all of these programs for the homeless, uh, particularly in Denver, in many of these big cities. Mm-hmm. And and instead of it it helping the the issue. We're seeing the cities are getting trashed. You mentioned San Francisco, and uh, yeah, my understanding is is that there's needles on the uh, on the you know sidewalks in, in public spaces. You mentioned there's human waste. Uh, I, I look at San Francisco and I'm thinking, my gosh, it was a beautiful city, mm-hmm. and now what's happening is people don't want to go there. Right. And the other thing that is happening in these cities, it's what socialism does, is where you then have the haves. And they have not. So you have the haves that are getting big salaries because they're trying to fix these problems, supposedly, for the have-nots down here. And they got to have the they have to have the have-nots stay there. They can't have the upward mobility of moving into the middle class. It's a very sad state of affairs. I hardly ever go into downtown Denver anymore. A couple of reasons. Is there constricting parking? Yep. They're constricting your ability to get down there. And so I hardly go down there, but one of the main reasons is is I don't feel safe like I used to, and it's really, really dirty. Yeah, it's getting worse. One of the things I came across was the city of Houston who is working to get rid of their homeless problem. And they... Uh, looked at uh, what it took to get people off of the streets, and they found there were something like 150 steps these people had to take if they wanted to get off the streets, and a lot of it was just sheer regulation. So they cut, really, yeah, they cut it back to about I think 50 steps, which still seems like a lot, but um, they, <laughs> Duh, yeah, they be, yeah, well, you know, you have. You know, sometimes they don't have their IDs. They don't have birth certificates. You, you know, they don't have a telephone number to get a an apartment or a job. I mean, there's a lot of but they can vote issues. Yeah. <laughs> so um, they have been working to cut that back, and it's been very effective. They got a lot of people off the street, and then they uh, made a place for homeless people to stay. But they could only they limited the amount of stuff they could have in a space and and where that was. So they're working uh, actually to really truly help the homeless people. So um, look up the city of Houston and and see what they're doing, because I think that's a a good tactic. You know, Susan, it's been a a journey for me regarding, uh, you know, I I used to, you know, be so concerned about homeless. You saw all these uh, different projects. You saw little kids doing things for the homeless. And then I, around Christmas time one year, I went down and served at a, a soup kitchen and then helped with uh Oh, there was like snow boots and things like that. And a couple of things. I realized that actually I think that some of the people preferred that lifestyle. You yeah, know, we used to call, call them hobos, mm-hmm. you know. And and then the other thing I realized that there really is a network because I overheard them saying when they came in and we were helping them choose their boots, uh, you know, they they were talking to each other and they're like, oh, out in Golden on Wednesday, they're going to be serving chili. You know, and so it's kind of like they, you know, there was a little network there. 
And so I've thought more and more about it. And then, you know, when you're sitting at the light and there's the person there with the cardboard sign looking at you. And I'm first of all thinking that's very entrepreneurial, Mm -hmm. you know, and they, in essence, are kind of working. But instead of of just asking for money, because when you just give somebody somebody money, you're in essence saying you don't have anything of value that I'm willing to trade my money for. I'm just going to give you money. Right. And I think there's real dignity. Now, certainly there's some people that just can't help themselves. But but I think there's real dignity in saying you do something of value and I will give you my, you know, something of value to me. And I've thought it would be a great idea if for every homeless person on the corner that they were there with a garbage bag, a dustpan, and a broom. And if that corner was the best-looking corner, if they were striving for excellence, making that a great-looking corner with no trash or anything, I think I'd be willing to give them a little money. But I've decided that I'm not doing, uh, giving money right now because I want to exchange value for value. Yeah, I figure the best thing I can do is offer people jobs. And, you know, we were talking in the other segment about opportunity and small business and stuff like that. We have so many regulations now that it makes it very hard for those people to even succeed. Say it's a hot day and they go to King Supers and they get uh, bottles of water and want to stand on the corner and sell them to drivers for a profit. Oh, no, no. You don't have a business license. You don't have a health department license, all this other stuff. You can't do it. But that's a great way for them to make money. I would so respect that. And what have we done? We've pushed them all off. All the newspaper guys, anybody's, you know, standing on the corner trying to sell anything. Um, and I actually got this idea from a kid who worked for me. He used to live in California. And on hot days, that's what he would do. He would go down and sell bottles of water until, you know, the regulars would come run them off. Uh, he also had a friend who had this giant pet snake. And they <laughs> go down on the street and let people pet the snake for money and take their picture with it until they got run off and they go somewhere else. Those are the things that, you know, people make money, they're entrepreneurial, and and we have so many regulations, they can't go out and just start something and make money. You have given me a thought. Let's go to break. When we come back, let's talk about if you give something away for free or if you actually charge for it, what happens. So this is Kim Munson with the Americhicks. I'm talking with Susan Kochevar, the owner of the historic 88 Drive-In Theater, which will be opening soon. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to the Americhicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. I'm having a great conversation with Susan Kochevar. She is the owner of the, 88, the historic 88 Drive-In Theater, and you will be opening very soon. We will, hopefully March 22nd, but we, you know, depending on weather. We'll see. So be sure and check out my website. We'll have uh, your landing page there, and you can find out about that. So that'll be great. You In this last segment, there was so much in there. First thing, I just wanted to mention something about what you do for the homeless is you give people jobs. Mm-hmm. Susan, I think one of the most compassionate things a person can ever give another person is a job. And you as a small business person, you're on the front lines doing that. You, you hire a lot of young people, uh, which that first job really sets people on success. They learn how to work with folks. They know how to learn how to give change. Uh, it's just so important, this job. And one of the things that's making it more difficult is the forced minimum wage mm-hmm. for employers like you. Absolutely. As, you know, uh, payroll, I think I mentioned before, is one of a business's biggest expenses. And one of the things that people don't realize is that Social Security and Medicare, the employer matches that. 
and it's a percentage of payroll. So when your payroll goes up, your minimum wage goes up, you know, that percentage goes up also. So your expenses really rise. So it's more like this year, it's more than a 90 cent increase in minimum wage. And the thing I find so sad is that these kids that work for me, they don't understand how um, payroll works. They don't understand, and a lot of people don't. They don't understand when they even fill out that uh, W-4, you know, that thing is so confusing. They have no idea what that means. Uh, people don't understand withholding. So, And by law, you said that uh, you can't give them tax advice. Right. Okay, most interesting. So just wanted to make that point that uh, these these rules and regulations, you know, maybe they sound like they're compassionate on, you know, when you're passing these, like this forced minimum wage, but in essence, it hurts people. And uh, as you mentioned, one of the most compassionate things you can do is give another person a job. But you were talking about rules and regulations in this last segment, and you uh, had mentioned an entrepreneur that you knew that was uh, actually on hot days buying cool water and then was standing on a corner and selling them. And then you said the regulars, regulators ran them off. Mm-hmm. But if he was giving them away for free and not making any money, uh, he would have had his expense to have to go buy that water. But if he gave them away for free, then in essence, the regulators would have no problem, right? That's right. It is astounding to me. There's that story of the hair braider. I think that's a Job Creators Network story maybe as well. But there was a woman mm-hmm. that was uh, doing hair braiding. She, I think she had immigrated from you know, an, an Africa, someplace in Africa. And she was really good at hair braiding. Yep. And a lot of her friends really liked that. And so she thought, you know what? How about if I do some hair braiding in my home and I can make some money and start to uh, do better for myself and my family? And guess what? The regular, the regulator said, you don't have a hair braiding license, and so you cannot hair braid. But then I thought about it. If she was braiding her friend's hair for free, mm-hmm. no problem. No problem. So what these policies do is they actually stifle innovation, creativity, entrepreneurship, people being able to have upward mobility, upward economic mobility. Uh, And I can't quite understand why they don't get it. That's right. That gal would have to go get a a beauty license, which would cost, I think it's about a year and a half in school. And I don't know, $12,000 or how much those those, uh, classes cost. So she's trying to feed her family on a really fantastic, unique skill that she has. She can't do it. Um, it just holds people down in poverty. It really does. And the regulators, I mean, don't you think that the consumer can figure out the licensing? Like uh, the woman that does my hair, uh, I'm sure she has a license, but I don't go to her because she has a license. I go to her because she does a good, good job and she was referred, I was referred to her. And so I don't need the government having a license. To me, it, as you mentioned, it keeps people down. It keeps them from being able to have a free exchange of you do a good job. I know you do a good job. People have said said that you do a good job. And so I'd like to hire you. Now, if you don't do a good job, then I'm not going to go back. That's right. And you or you have it depending on what you're doing. You have recourse to the courts. The whole idea of licensure, I think, gives people a false sense of security. They see their doctor has a license and they assume he's good. That doesn't necessarily mean he's good. Uh, We see a lot of teachers have licenses, too. And lately, there's been a lot of frightening things coming out of the at, public schools. Out of the public schools, you know, with these people who are licensed. So uh, licensure just really holds people down and gets people. People don't look into things as much as they should. They just it falls into security. Uh, 
And I see, too, they were trying to pass, I don't think it was this year, I think it was last year, there was a bill that went through the legislature to try to license yoga instructors. That's right. And I think there was one in California for interior designers. I don't think we need a licensure for all this stuff. It costs a ton of money for these people who are just trying to work and, and make money and but these licenses, these license fees, they help pay the salaries of the bureaucrats mm-hmm. that then come in and that they will then try to enforce uh, the, the licensure. The other problem with this, though, is then it allows politicians and bureaucrats to pick winners and losers mm-hmm. because they can come in and check on one person, you know, and say that uh, whatever, they're not matching up to a regulation, but they might turn a blind eye or not check out somebody else. So this guy over here, because they came in and checked things out, might get a fine where these people get a free pass. It's a very, very bad thing, but it's been sold to everyday individuals and you mentioned this as they take kind of comfort. They're licensed, so that means they're mm-hmm. good at it. That's not the case. Yeah, the, take for example the health department. People assume, oh, well, this business has been examined by the health department. Well, unless somebody's looking over your shoulder every second, they can't guarantee anything. And I had a kid that worked for me, and before he worked for me, he worked for uh, Taco Bell. And he said that. Um, you know, or I think it was a Taco Bell. It might have been a different business. I'm not sure. But uh, the health department would come in and they would do things one way. And then when the, they would leave, they'd go back to the old way because they couldn't get a taco out the window if they did it under the regulatory way. And people don't like to wait for their tacos. And people don't like to wait. They like to get through that drive through pretty fast, you know. So uh, it creates more problems. That, that's for sure. That's for sure. Well, Susan Kochevar, owner of the historic 88 Drive-In Theater, you will be opening soon. And uh, I'm always just kind of mesmerized at all that you have going on. We have just a few more minutes. What, what do you see looking into the future right now here in Colorado? Uh, are you concerned? What, what do you see? terrified. We have a governor who was in front of an SEIU meeting uh, before the election. And that's a, that's a union. Yep, it's a union. And he was recorded saying that he wants to put teeth in employment law, which means he wants to criminalize employment law and jail employers. That's frightening to me. Um, you know, one of the things I want to say about all those employment laws and employment in general, you have a big poster you have to put up in your business. And if you don't have that poster up, it's, it's a huge fine if uh, they come in and, and see that you don't have that sign up. But I think that is a piece of propaganda. But for us, the government, your employer would do all this awful stuff to you. And that's not the case. I really like my employees and get along with them and um, want to see them do well. And it really irritates me that uh, we have to put these big signs up that well, and, and to that point, Drive a wedge. I have a, a friend that actually had been working with a lot of different small businesses and had met a whole bunch of different small businesses. And she said out of all of those businesses, she only met one employer that was a jerk. And, you know, in there's some. Yeah. In humankind, there are going to be some jerks. But when you have upward mobility as, a, as an employee, then that means that if you are working for a guy that's a jerk, then you could actually work hard, you know, maybe go out and do, you know, get a, you know, different degree or a lot. Well, I'm going to say license because I got my stockbroker's license. Mm-hmm. Um, but in essence, uh, you could go out and, and get a different job is my point. And that ultimately, 
that bad employer is probably going to go out of business eventually. Eventually they will, yeah. If you don't serve your customers good food and take care of them, they will not come back. And if you don't treat your employees well, they're not going to work for you. No, and I love my employees that work really hard. And I'll tell you what, we have some really smart kids, and they work really hard. Okay, and uh, so this is very concerning. Is there anything else down at the state legislature that's kind of working its way through that you're concerned about? Well, there's a family leave uh, bill they've been talking about, and that's actually more nationally, but that, that kind of stuff will break the back of small businesses. There's so much coming through our legislature right now. It's like drinking uh, from a fire hose. And um, even the uh, oil and gas legislation that they're uh, talking about running is quite frightening. You know, anytime utility rates go up um, or, or energy rates go up, that costs businesses a lot of money, too. Anytime oil and gas price uh, gas prices rise, all of my suppliers charge more money because everything's trucked. So these things are very concerning. And, uh, and then you're going to have to charge more. Yep. And uh, so people, it's fortunate that they, that they have more money in their pocket from the Trump tax cuts. However, these kinds of regulations and, and agendas that are happening in Colorado is then going to make things more expensive. And so you'll, you'll see some of that uh, benefit dissipate, unfortunately. So Susan Kochevar, it is just always so great to have a conversation with you. And uh, we we're talking about it. You're going to be opening, hopefully... On March 22nd, depending on the weather, and then kind of that's the soft opening, and then a hard opening probably right around April 5th. Yes. Okay. And uh, do you know any movies that are coming out? Um, There's so many. uh, They kind of all run together after a little while, but we're looking forward to opening on April 5th for sure, and this is our 43rd season. I want to make sure I say that. Well, that, years. that is very exciting. And this movie Shazam, you've mentioned mm-hmm. that. That sounds like that's going to be fun. So that's going to possibly be in your repertoire? That's what I'm planning on opening with. So um, go and Google that. It looks like a super cute family picture. I like family pictures. So, And you know what I think we need to do? We need to do like Americhicks at 88 Drive-In Theater sometime this summer. That'd be fantastic. Okay, so we will do that. So, Well, it's great having you here, Susan Kochevar. This is Kim Munson with the Americhicks. And Alexander Hamilton, I know you like Alexander Hamilton. You sponsored uh, the one of the Federalist Papers, we know in Veritas, he said, power over a man's subsistence is power over his will. 